Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, this is the all-new Look Red Box podcast. Yes, for the first time in years, actually, we've got a brand new logo, which is very exciting because lots of you had pointed out uh, that the old one that had the uh, ER dot 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 was a bit out of date following the death of the Queen last year. So we are now fully spruced up with a brand new Red Box logo, like the Red Boxes that ministers carry around. That's why it's called Red Box. All in line with the Red Box morning email, where Patrick Maguire and Lara Spirit hop into your inbox every morning to tell you what is going on in politics. So if you are a Times subscriber, make sure you sign up. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Red Box. And you can get the email in your inbox every morning at 8.30. And now we're all joined up with the lovely logo. And as we've got a new lovely logo, why don't you tell your friends about Red Box and why you like it? Uh, tweet about the podcast or, better still, go on to the Apple podcasting thing. Do a review, post a comment, whether you like us or not. Um, well, preferably if you do like us. Anyway, it helps us up the mumbo-jumbo charts, so please do that. Anyway, enough waffle. Lovely logo. Good. Let's crack on. As always, on a Wednesday, PMQ's Unpatch is coming as we pause the action for the House of Commons to analyse in real time what's going on between Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak. That's coming up in just a moment, but first, it's Alibert. The Columnists with Alibert. Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. <laughs> yes, we are joined in the studio by Robert Crampton. Morning, Ross. Morning, Matt. And Alice Thompson. Morning, Alice. Morning. So, the old gang are back together. Back together again. William Haig. Oh, William Haig. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a bit skittish this is that morning. Your, is that your impression? Yeah, I can do Haig? a good William Haig. Go on, then. And my name's William Haig. <laughs> it's not bad, is it? It's quite a good impression of someone. I'm going to yeah. place who it is. Yeah. yeah. Do... I once interviewed William Haig and he didn't know how to make a cup of tea and I did it as my intro and he was very upset. He'd right. never made a cup of tea and he's from Yorkshire. Isn't isn't Blair like that? He's never Didn't he, when he came on Past Imperfect, didn't he say yeah. he'd never done anything? Oh, he did. Yeah. He's made one omelette in his life. Haig was too busy drinking his 14 pints 14 to, pints, to yeah. get, in, get in, to bother with tea. I was looking into that the other day about I think it's drinking true. pints. I think it's true. and Because he didn't just come out and say, like, no. Nick Clegg, I've slept with 30 no, women. He no. was basically talking about how he used to work. He, his dad, the family ran a soft drinks business in yeah. South Yorkshire, and he used to do the deliveries of the lemonade and whatnot to the pub. And obviously when he got to the pub, the he pub a, said, do you want a pint? Mm. Yeah. He probably didn't drink all of the, every 14 pints. Yeah. And I think he didn't ever claim that he did. Yeah. But I can, I mean, but I was he, a milkman, he, and we used to go to the pub when I was 14, and he'd just give you whiskey. When you were 14. <laughs> How many pints of milk sure, did you drink? Are you sure? Is it you actually in a film no, that you've no, seen? At, Chris, <laughs> at Christmas, I was the Milton's assistant. He'd take me into the pub, 14, 15 years of age, yeah. and buy me a double scotch at nine in the morning. And are. nobody batted an eyelid. Anyway, back to William Hague and that. 
<laughs> Except me, because I didn't really want a double scotch at 9 o'clock. Everyone in Britain should be given a digital ID incorporating their passport, driving mm. licence, tax records, qualifications and right to work as the cornerstone of a technological revolution. Uh, Sir Tony Blair and Lord Hague of Richmond say today. Um, we've, we've had sort of had this before, but before Christmas. Uh, Stephen Killick, uh, Labour's Shadow Immigration Minister, said the same thing. That there's some sort of ID, one of yeah. the reasons why... Uh, if, if you're uh, an illegal immigrant, France is harder than Britain. It's because mm. they, they, you know, the ID requirements. Are... Well, what's weird is that you thought they'd bring it in after COVID because we got used to having some sort of ID then, and that became quite normal. And either you had to have your card or you had to have something on your phone saying that you'd been inoculated. And I think people, mm. people basically began to get used to it then, and so they could have tried it. It then, and there's been a lot of cross-party support for it, but there's still quite a lot of opposition on both sides of the party, and that's why it's a cross-party thing. It seems to be almost above politics whether or not you mm. feel you should hand over. Yeah, I would never mind handing over most of my information, although I thought actually your qualifications was a weird one. Yeah, <laughs> the idea that I now have to put my O levels down. <laughs> yes, would slightly freaked me out actually. I well, kind of would well, mind in a little. I suppose the, with the qualifications, yeah. it's only you'd only have them on there if you needed them. And it's not that often. Like you, you might need to be able to show your national insurance number or something to access something from the job mm. centre. Yeah. Um, it's not that often that people are going to ask. It's the idea that you can, uh, taking France as an example, your policeman can stop you in the street yeah, in France yeah. and say, show me your papers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In a kind of occupied country kind of way. Yeah. And that is what we react against. I mean, obviously, it's. But makes... isn't the answer that we just don't pass a law saying it's a yes. justification? You know, because there are various. Yeah, the idea um, that the information stays with you as well. Like hurdles the police have yeah. to clear when yeah. stopping, you know, including for stop and search. They have to have, yeah. re, you know, reasonable suspicion or something, don't they? Uh -huh. so, so just saying, well, you, you can't have yeah. uh, the requirement that you, you, you give, you know, that you well, can't Well, we should certainly have that. Yeah. And I guess the, the other argument is that. You know, Facebook's got all this information already, so why shouldn't the states yeah. have it and to use it to for use it to use it for yeah. well, they're going to have everything purposes. soon. So, I mean, with AI, you're going to be impersonated so easily that actually, you probably do need to have something concrete that is yours that can prove. And that's that it's a really you. interesting point. That as a counterpoint to the to the growth of AI, the ability <clears throat> to impersonate is is really hard. So, you do need to have something that shows and that's actually watertight and is like your passport. Yeah. So, and I I think it would make our lives a lot easier in the end, yeah. even though I don't particularly want to have it all on record. And, and everyone knows it anyway, and particularly the younger generation, they've got all that stuff there, that it, I think it would be incredibly useful. It's incredibly useful for the NHS if they had everything in one place. And education-wise, you can see with employers, it would, be, it would be much easier if they knew what they were doing and they knew who they were employing. Now it's quite, actually really difficult. You have to jump through quite a lot of yeah, hoops. Yeah. Uh, somebody's just texted in, so I applied for a leadership course is this Liz Truss? I applied for a leadership <laughs> course, which required my long-since-chucked GCSE certificates. Yeah. I'd love to have had them on a digital doodah to be hacked by China. Yeah. There's no name on that, because they're, they're, they're willing to give all of their GCSE results yeah. to China, but not give us their We're trying name. to track down my son's GCSEs at the moment yeah. for, for, a, for a thing he's doing, and uh, it's proving almost impossible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, birth uh, certificates, the other one, that actually, yeah. just I don't know where any of the birth certificates are. You just don't remember them, do you? you had that oh, we had a big oh, I've got mine. I've got, I've got them in a special file. We had yeah. a big clear out of our, yeah. of our yeah. special box where we keep all important papers. Yeah. Yeah, but we're in the 21st century and we have boxes of stuff, yeah, don't we? Yeah. Which is kind of like... Tub in the cupboard full of yeah, bits yeah. of paper. And um, what about... Because um, uh, the sort of knock-on of that is a big story sort of in the background in politics right now about ID for voting, voter mm. ID. It's a story, I think it was in The Guardian this week, that only 700 people over the age of 70, I think, have applied for one, even though I think there were like 2 million overall people who don't have any... Expected Wait, do, what's to, wrong with the electoral register then? Well, you know, they're saying you need some form of ID mm. so that you can't turn up with like a 
polling card because you don't even need, you don't actually even need your polling no, card. No, you don't. You no. just turn. Yeah. You can just turn up and just give your name. Yes. And they go, oh, which yeah, very good. Which and they hand over things. Personation. Well, so, yeah. so is the suggestion, especially in Northern Ireland historically. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, the, the the way the government's washing it in, and Labour says it's sort of gerrymandering, and they're trying to to because younger people tend not to have a driving license or might not have got a passport. And all yeah. Like. Yeah. Actually, I don't think that's true. I think quite a lot of the younger generation do because if you want to go and drink in a pub, you have to have some sort of ID. So I would say that it's a good point, the though. under twenty five <laughs> are more likely to have ID now. So I quite often, yeah. I think that I think that generation would like something online. And they often do have ID, and they're they're used to showing it in a way that we aren't. Yeah, probably. I was just about to mention. I, think, actually, I used to lend my passport to a friend because uh, he was a year younger than me, so it was good for going into pubs. And we looked a bit similar, but I won't do that because that's probably that, illegal. I, I think if that's the price of getting people <laughs> to, to to revive the, going to the polling station, then it's a good idea because I think the real the real uh, opportunity for uh, gerrymandering and corruption is with the postal voting, uh, which has increased. Yeah, kind of on the sly, hasn't it? I mean, the last election was was enormous. It used to be kind of a few dozen yeah, postal yeah. votes, and now it's a, quite a big percentage. Yeah. And that's where the uh, problems seem to seem yeah, to. Yeah, actually, what we really want to do is get people to vote because they don't yeah. vote, and particularly yeah. you know the under thirty five aren't really vote. That uh, you don't want to do what they're doing in Australia, where they force you to vote. But yeah. it would be better if most people felt that there was an obligation to vote in some way. Well, when we come to vote, of course, uh, it'll be um, uh, Keir Starmer versus Rishi Sunak, we assume now, rather than uh, rather than Boris Johnson. Um, about the language we use to describe politicians, Keir Starmer uh, said this week he loathed Boris Johnson. Mm. Uh, he was talking to uh, Matt Ford, um, the, the comedian, so he was also slightly more relaxed, talked about how much he loved mm. him. And then Emily Thornberry, Labour's Shadow Attorney Secretary, uh, Shadow Attorney General, had this to say on breakfast. I think it's very difficult sometimes when you... When you, when you do have such differences, we have such major differences quite often with our opponents and there are things that they do that we feel very strongly mm. about. But, he, yeah, Keir wasn't really talking about that, was he? He was talking more about Johnson's personal personality, yeah. which is what made it so kind of inflammatory, really. He wasn't saying, oh, I loathed him because he shut down the steelworks. He's saying, I loathed him because of the sort of man he was. And he yeah. actually goes, it goes further than that. I mean, it's quite strong language. He talks about all the people who've ever had a relationship with him of any sort have ended up in the gutter, Yeah, which is, which is pretty strong. And I think... He didn't stand in- for anything. He had no principles. He mm. had no integrity. He lied through his teeth and he brings everybody down with him. Yeah. That's pretty full on. Pretty full on. And I think slightly unwise involving other people. You wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to say to, uh, that Carrie Johnson has ended up in the gutter. It's not, yeah. it's not for him to yeah. say, is it? I think loads is a strong word. It's a yeah. very strong it's word. It's a bit off brand for him as well, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. actually that's what's odd, is you can see that coming from very, very tribal politicians, but mm. from someone like him, it just seems unmeasured, and he's meant to be a very calm, measured, and polite, actually, man. Yeah. And it doesn't feel polite. I mean, he's not swearing, but it... it it's almost as shocking coming from him when you say you loathe someone. That's like hate, and hate's a very, yeah. very strong word. I mean, that's actually the main criticism. He doesn't really have... He doesn't seem that passionate about anything. Well, he, evidently that is not the case. Yeah, He's yeah. passionate about people who uh, don't tell the truth. I mean, that, there's, quite law, there's something quite law, mm. lawyerly there, yeah, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. Of a man who's kind of lived his life by the rules. Yeah. And it's the contempt for somebody who hasn't. Yeah. I think, I don't, I didn't go, I don't think it's very good politics because I don't, I don't sense that there's a loathing for Johnson, Boris Johnson in the country. I think people were sort of found him out. Yeah. But I don't get the impression that he's a kind of pariah. Uh, so exactly, and I suppose and, it's and also think, there's, so there's a think, knock-on effect, isn't yeah. there? The people who liked Boris Johnson might be a bit like, oh, hang on a minute. Yes, 
know, and there's that sort of who would you rather slightly attacking who would you rather go for a drink with kind of test. Yeah. Well, that's the problem. It's and, who would you rather go with drink yeah. with? And I think quite a few people would find that Keir was a bit too straight and dull and yes. boring. So I think it's Although, I mean, the weird thing is the reality is that Boris Johnson in person is quite odd and Keir yeah. Starmer is quite normal. Yes. You'd actually would probably rather go for a pint with Keir Starmer. I have been for a pint with Keir Starmer in his first <laughs> Was this when you were on the milk round? No, it was not your dream again. We used to play football. We used to play football against each other briefly. And uh, did when, he loathe when, you, when delivering milk, no, I think he quite liked me. Mm. I mean, he's he's slightly hard to read, but uh, yeah, but, but yeah, Boris is Boris. That's how he gets his peerage, isn't it? Boris is. Uh, yeah, well, Logan's I shared an office with Boris, as you know, and I don't loathe him. I think, I mean, he's mm. you know, I don't agree with him. I don't think he always tells the truth. I think he is difficult with people around him. I think he is quite self-obsessed, but I don't... And I he hasn't got any, fr- hasn't got any friends, work. has he? He hasn't got any friends. No, he's not, no he's he hasn't absolute, got many. He's the absolute opposite of this yeah, kind yeah, yeah, yeah. of jolly, hail-fellow, well If he walks into a busy room of people, he's either the centre of attention or he goes and sits in the corner and sulks. Yeah. It's a very weird, weird yeah. approach. Either of you got any tomatoes on you? Yeah, I've got some in my lunchbox downstairs. Yeah. Have you? Yeah. Cool. He's got them with his hard-boiled eggs that he has, don't you? Yeah, a hog-packed lunch, yeah. From the, from the milk round. Just tomatoes and hard-boiled <laughs> eggs. And a pint for, <laughs> and a pint for I've got some in the fridge and I'm not going to keep them because I know I can't get any Well, exactly. You want to yeah. get them on eBay. Yeah. Right, because there's a reason for this. Uh, we should be told we should pay, expect to pay more for tomatoes, cucumber and salads as uh, supermarkets start rationing them. Well, in fact, one man who probably get his hands on tomatoes for us is uh, Oliver, <laughs> Oliver Whitfield Miocic, who's live outside Morrison's this morning. Morning, Oliver. Good morning. Have you got any tomatoes about your person? <laughs> Not at the moment, Matt. One of the first things that you see when you go inside this Morrison's in South London is actually empty shelves. They've only got a few tomatoes left. They've got barely any salads. There's a shortage of cucumbers and of peppers. It's all been driven by this extreme weather in North Africa and Spain, which has then meant that they can't send us very many of what they are producing all at a time when it's winter in England and we can't really produce our own. So a huge problem for the supermarkets and it shows just how fragile their supply chains are. Is there also a risk that you being there and us talking about it here means that even more people are now going into Morrison's behind you to buy peppers they didn't necessarily want uh, a bit like toilet rolls? Not that you should use peppers like toilet rolls, that's entirely separate. Have you seen people this morning, Oliver, sort of rushing in to stock up? No, there hasn't been people rushing in (laughs) trying to fill their trolleys with tomatoes and other consumables. The problem with fresh food is you can't really panic buy it, can you? Because it goes off in your fridge within the next week or two. The supermarkets are saying, though, they do not want people to buy more than what they need. They're bringing in these caps. Morrison's the latest today, as they brought theirs in on Sunday, limiting people to buying two or three packs of each line. And they're saying that the disruption could go on for some weeks. Speaking today at the National Farmers Union Congress, we heard from the Environment Secretary, Therese Coffey. She is praising the role of British farmers for keeping food on the table, saying that there will be a food security conference later on this year. But farmers have told us that what they really need is access to an energy price reduction scheme. There is currently one for heavy manufacturing industries, but farmers are currently cut out from that. They said if they could get in on that, then what they could do is heat up their greenhouses and produce more fruit and veg for British consumers. Oliver, thank you for that. Um, I'll let you get on and finish off your shopping now. Oliver Whitfield, me and Chich, thanks so much for joining us live from outside Morrison's this morning. It's a good point, uh, Alice, that um, uh, uh, the farmers are making. The, the big, if you're a big steel industry, then you, you are getting help with your energy bills in the way that farmers aren't. 
Yeah, and farmers aren't at all because oil hasn't helped. Mm. Um, and I think that the problem for them is that they're trying to grow all this stuff and be in competition with uh, the warmer climates. But my view is actually just eat seasonally. We may have to go back to Swede. <laughs> Just maybe turnips sweet, and seasons sweet, like that. Well, and and yeah. actually, we've got our own asparagus now. I'm quite it's a, it's a month actually. early yeah. in Britain. Yeah, so. yeah sweet, turnip. Mashed or uh, in lumps? Yeah, mashed with as much butter, butter and yeah, yeah. salt and pepper and that. And then you can I just about force it down then, you can, can't you? you can <laughs> mash, anything mashed up with butter. Yes, nice. in the French, that's French cuisine for you, isn't it? <laughs> and, and maybe some cream and wine. But no, Alice is right. Eat yeah. seasonally. We have, you know, human beings have always had bad harvests. Had harvests. We've yeah. got one at the moment, albeit in Spain and Morocco. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, live with it, deal with it. And then the weather will start improving, we start planting our own. That's the key yeah. thing. Grow your own lettuce. It's much better. Yeah, I think that's going to happen, isn't it? That we're yeah. going to all start having more allotments. Yeah. Yeah, I've been on the waiting list for a long time. Well, you want to come move where I live? I've got a big long garden, got my own patch. Oh, maybe, maybe I could get, you could rent now a little. <laughs> yeah, you but know, in the second world. In a kind of feudal way. Time, <laughs> well, few, can you go few, get some lettuce and hobble the train out? Strip, strip farming. <laughs> no, in the second world, they actually dug up the whole of the Hyde Park. Yes, we did, didn't they? just asked for a bit of Hyde Park. That's a good idea. Be quite good. Football pitches we could dig up. We don't need those. Golf courses. Golf courses. Yeah. yeah, that's a good idea. Um, just finally, Alice, your column today, you've written about Kate Forbes. I've written about Kate Forbes as the potential millennial leader yeah. in the UK because she is going to be, if she gets in 32, the only millennial we've had so far. Yeah. But she's also very religious. Mm -hmm. Which makes her not very typical of millennials. Exactly. So, you know, the majority, vast majority in Scotland of the under 35s um, are agnostic or atheists. So um, I think it is different. I mean, it's very old-fashioned SMP in some ways. That yeah, she's, yeah. Um, you know, that she does believe very strongly and her parents were missionaries and she is um, very Christian and she has views on abortion that are very dissimilar probably to most millennials. Yeah. What have you made of this whole debate? I, I think it's not... I mean, our ethics, obviously, I, just, I don't... Well, it's not obvious, but I don't agree with them, uh, what she said about gay marriage and kids outside marriage. But I, my problem is trusting somebody who believes in the supernatural being. Yeah. I mean, I'm, we, we have to show this respect for somebody's religious views and increasingly I'm thinking, why? What, yeah. what does it say about them as a person? And in they... fact, our, our text machine is um, is basically full of people tweeting Tim Farron, who tweeted about coming on the show yesterday, mm. and he's talked about the, how the uh, the New Testament is made up of eyewitness accounts, and lots of people are saying, no, it's not. Yeah. You should be polite, but you also should be able to say, I don't think that's fine. Oh, we've covered a lot yes, of ground there, we have, haven't we? we? From, from your underage drinking, <laughs> yeah. tomatoes, God, everything. Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson there. And of course, you can read them both in The Times every week if you are a subscriber, which I know you must be by now, but maybe you need to tell your friends. They can subscribe at thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is PMQ's Unpack. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast now. It's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. And a very good afternoon to Tim Shipman. Nice to see you. Uh, Loads of people already logging on. Uh, Richard in Fleet. I think that might be Richard who stopped me coming out of uh, a shop and said I wanted to say hello when I was... um, well, your face seems unmarked, so he was presumably friendly. He was very nice, Richard. I assume that's the same one. He says, I hope to join the chat later, but come to my daughter at the dentist. Uh, Stephen is in Taunton. Uh, Terry's in Liverpool. Wendy's in Wiltshire. Michael's in Melbourne. What time is it there? Uh, Stephen says, Le- uh, it's greyish in Leicester. Uh, Jenny's in Sherwood Foss. Let us know uh, where you're watching along. And let us know what you think might come up at PMQs today, because there's quite a lot going on in the news right now. What do you think Keir Starmer might go on, Tim Shipman? Well, there are some occasions where a leader of the opposition wants to punch the Prime Minister on the nose. There are other ones where he wants to flag up something he cares about. But I think one of the most fun things for a leader of the opposition is sowing discord on the government benches. And I would be absolutely amazed if he doesn't have a good old crack at uh, the Northern Ireland Protocol. What has Rishi Sunak negotiated? Is he weak or is he prepared to stand up to the DUP and the ERG. And it's one of those PMQ's sessions where uh, I can see the Starmer questions being interesting, but we'll also need to be listening out for, you know, are there Tory backbenchers standing up and putting his feet to the fire? What what have the DUP got to say about everything? Lara Spirit is out in the office, tuned in to to pick out all the good good questions from the backbenchers. Um, Is there a risk for Keir Starmer going on Brexit? Or can he get round the I wanted a second referendum question uh, and instead land on uh, saying to uh, Rishi Sunak, look, if you need support to get through a sensible deal, I'm here to help. Here I am with all my votes. I mean, technically speaking, Rishi Sunak probably doesn't need a vote in the House of Commons. If he can get the support of... uh, Uh, people on his own side. He'd probably quite like to have one um, in order to uh, get everybody to dip their hands in the you-know-what. But, you know, it's possible he's prepared to push this stuff through without a vote. Um, um, And we're in this slightly curious position where, you know, the DUP, to be fair to them, are pretty consistent about what they do and don't want. The ERG are busy protesting hard about a deal that makes something a lot better that they themselves supported uh, not um, three years ago. So... um, Go figure. <laughs> um, how bad is it for Rishi Sunak right now? I mean, it was weird at the beginning of the week, we were sort of talking as if, actually, if he did manage to get this deal through, basically told Boris Johnson, the DUP, to go stuff themselves, and he sorted out this problem and the storm assembly came back and so on, then he might look quite strong. But the fact he hasn't managed to do that, and he's sort of, everyone's marched up the top of the hill and back down again does play into this criticism of him being weak. Yeah, and uh, the handling of this has been bizarre. The customs stuff was agreed weeks ago and Downing Street pretended it hadn't happened. Um, admittedly, they've been trying to get somewhere um, on a kind of 
democratic lock for EU sort of single market regulation um, in Northern Ireland. Um, not clear whether they've got that over the line yet. And then it's, you know, unclear whether it would satisfy the people um, who are getting hot under the collar about it at the moment. But, you know, there's been criticism in Whitehall of the way he's handled the DUP. I mean, a lot of other people I've spoken to who've handled the DUP before think, you know, these are guys who are not going to agree to anything regardless. They're just, you know, have spent careers saying no to things um, ultimately... You know, they're quite like a hard border in Ireland because that's what they believe in. Um, you know, uh, they believe that, uh, you know, you shouldn't be putting borders between Northern Ireland and the rest of the, yeah. the country. But it was Boris Johnson who drew that border. And Boris Johnson now seems to be one of the people most uptight about it all. Um, so I can understand Sunak's frustration. I mean, you know, Starmer presumably would quite like this sorted because if he does become Prime Minister, the last thing he needs is to be uh, dealing with all this again. Um, well, exactly. Having it all tidied up and not having to... Immediately, you know, the hope for Sunak is if he has got something resembling a practical deal that will work, then push it through, and hopefully, in a year's time, it just looks like it's working, and the sting is taken yeah. gradually from this um, anyway. But you know, he's in a weak position. He's got people hot under the collar about the budget. He's going to have people hot under the collar about what is presumably going to be a fairly poor performance in the local elections. And if you add to that a fairly poor performance about Brexit and questions being raised about whether he's uh, doing enough for Ukraine by uh, the Johnsonian wing of his own party, and you start to get to the position where it's not absurd to imagine um, that he might not be Prime Minister by the end of this year. Yeah. Well... There's quite a lot there. Uh, let's see if uh, if Keir Starmer can um, can take all of that and turn it into six pithy questions. Uh, we go live now to the House of Commons. This is PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio and on a YouTube channel. It is question number one from Keir Starmer. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in his comments about Ukraine? I had the privilege last week of seeing firsthand the courage and resilience of the Ukrainian people, and we must continue to stand united in this House in support of Ukraine. Mr Speaker, can I also say that the thoughts of the whole House, I'm sure the whole country, will be with the family of Nicola Bully at this very, very difficult time. And can I welcome the new member for West Lancashire to her first PMQs. The Labour holds Mr that Speaker, violation. the Labour Party is proud to be the party of the Good Friday Agreement and peace and prosperity in Northern Ireland. We welcome attempts to make the protocol work more effectively. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that it has been poorly implemented and that the basis for any deal must be removing unnecessary checks on goods? Yeah. Prime Minister. Well, Mr. Mr. Speaker, let me welcome the uh, Honourable Lady to her place and associate myself with the remarks of the Honourable Gentleman uh, about Nicola Bully's family. Our thoughts are, of course, with them. Uh, as he knows, we are still in active discussions with the European Union, but he should know that I am a Conservative, a Brexiter and a Unionist, and any agreement that we reach needs to tick all three boxes. Yeah. It needs to ensure sovereignty for Northern Ireland it needs to safeguard Northern Ireland's place in our union, and it needs to find practical solutions to the problems faced by people and businesses. I will be resolute in fighting for what is best for Northern Ireland and the United Kingdom. Yes. Well, uh, there was me uh, doubting that Keir Starmer would want to touch Brexit with the barge pole, and there he is. Goes waiting right in. Uh, it actually appeared to be slightly siding with the government's view that the protocol has been poorly implemented, and this is the criticism that the EU, and especially, has been overzealous. Yeah, there are two groups of theological people about Brexit, and the EU has been one of them. Mm. Um, and for a long time, it was seen as this sort of uh, uh, 
independent being that sort of floated above the debate while people in Britain had an argument amongst themselves. But of course, it's a participant yeah. in this and it has uh, done a lot of things based on a theoretical threat to the single market that doesn't appear to be uh, very real in practice. And part of what the customs deal, which I think pretty well everybody thinks it uh, looks like a reasonable solution is that you have green lanes with no checks at all for things that are going from Great Britain into Northern Ireland and things that might go on into the single market in the south go through a red lane. Um, and as far as I'm aware, even the ERG is happy with that, though some of them mutter about what we, what these border posts. Well, you need border posts for the red lanes, but you know, not all of them seem to understand that. Um, but that's that's the sort of practical side of it. The bit that's the problem is all about EU law and who's in charge of interpreting yeah. it and theoretically is Northern Ireland still a full part of the United Kingdom. Um, but as I said before, a lot of the decisions that separated it were taken in 2019 and 2020 uh, by Boris Johnson, um, leading light in the ERG. <laughs> um, so, you know, Sunak is trying to deal with the practicalities. But, you know, as you say, that was a pretty... Um, uh, that was a nice softball opening question and it allowed Sunak to put down a marker with his own people and yeah. say, you know, this is what I care about. You know, the problem he's got is that, you know, he, uh, Rishi Sunak, whisper it quietly, was a Brexiteer before Boris Johnson was. Um, yeah, yeah. He turned around to David Cameron immediately and said, no, I'm supporting Brexit. Um, but most of the people who supported him in the leadership contest um, were the parts of the party that were uh, less keen on it. And, and so he's been kind of attached to them and is perceived to be one of them now. Um, and he's keen for us not to see him that way and certainly keen for um, uh, the right of his party not to see him that way. It's interesting. He sort of stated quite boldly, I'm a Conservative, a Brexiteer and a Unionist and any deal needs to tick all three boxes. Um, and it's clearly he's trying to point his language directly to the DUP and the ERG that, you know, I bet I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. And it's just whether or not they all end up then agreeing. And the people doing the negotiating in Brussels believe they have ticked all seven of the DUP's um, yeah. requirements. The DUP appears last night to have told the ERG that the government had made progress on three or four of them. So, you know, obviously, the, the, the DUP are the guardian of their own tests, but... Um, but then the question, the question things, is... is the, were the tests set up to be hit or were yeah. they set up to be failed? Yeah, were they a um, genuine concern or was it the assumption... Because seven's quite a lot. Yes. That they wouldn't be able to meet them all. And if they have now met them all, then um, then uh, th then then that's a problem. Uh, right, let's go back then to... Uh, uh, <laughs> lots of you talking on the on the, on the the YouTube channel. Uh, yeah, Rishi Sinat's got his glasses on today. And uh, James Cleverly doesn't appear to have shaved. So that's what you're missing if you're not on the YouTube channel. Well, let's go back to the House of Commons. Question number two from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, we all agree that the protocol can be improved, but there are trade-offs and we need to face up to them. His predecessor told businesses that there would be no forms, no checks, no barriers of any kind. That was absolute nonsense and it destroyed trust. So in the interests of restoring that trust, will he confirm that to avoid a hard border on the island of Ireland, the deal he's negotiating is going to see Northern Ireland continue to follow some EU law. Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, I think the, the Honourable Gentleman is, is jumping ahead. We are still... We, we are still... We are still in intensive, intensive discussions with the European Union to ensure that we can find agreement 
that meets the test that I set, and that is sovereignty for Northern Ireland. It is Northern Ireland's place in our precious union, and it is to find practical solutions to the problems faced by people and businesses. I have spent time engaging and listening to those communities in Northern Ireland, businesses and political parties. I have a good understanding of what is required, and I will keep fighting until we get it. Good understanding of what's required, and you'll keep fighting until you'll get it. Will he get it? That's the big question. I suppose it, it depends, as you were saying, if those, those seven Well, I think he thinks he probably has got something approximating it. The question is persuading other people. Um, you know, there's this whole issue of following EU law. Technically speaking, there's no EU law in uh, Northern Ireland. It's what um, uh, the British Parliament has chosen to align Northern Ireland with, um, you know, uh, in line with some of those regulations. Um, what Sunak appears to be trying to get is some kind of lock for the Assembly in Belfast to be able to say, actually, we don't want that regulation or that regulation, um, in the same way that they can throw the whole deal out once every four years. Um, my understanding is you could have a committee of the Assembly that would uh, inspect these regulations as they arrived, and if there was something particularly onerous for Northern Ireland, they'd be able to get rid of it. Yeah. Um, and that's what he's working on. Uh, and on that basis, I think he thinks he ought to have a deal. But this is now Starmer getting quite clever because the first part of that was effectively saying Boris Johnson talked a load of old tosh about his uh, deal, which, um, you know, most members of the Cabinet at the time would acknowledge, um, you know, what the Prime Minister said publicly about the deal he'd signed was not um, accurate. Yeah. Um, uh, I certainly think that's the view that um, the current Prime Minister has about uh, what the former Prime Minister said. But he's effectively saying, I'm inviting you to be rude about Boris Johnson, yeah. this man who's causing you great amounts of trouble. So Sunak didn't really buy it on that. And then, you know, talking about any EU law remaining, that is a red flag um, for the DUP and um, uh, for large parts of the ERG. Um, and he's effectively just trying to now cause as much trouble as possible. Interesting, though, that, that, that Keir Starmer appeared to be trying to sort of help get this over the line, as we were saying in the first questions. But then when he's saying, why won't you admit that they'll still be uh, under EU law? Actually, all that's going to do is wind up the ERG and the DUP and make it less likely that um, that the deal might go through. Um, let's go back well, then. Well, tempted to say that's politics, baby, but uh, yes. Yeah, it depends if, if Keir Starmer wants a bit of fun today or does he want this all sorted out before he becomes Prime Minister later? Both. Uh, <laughs> That's cake is and fun. Uh, right, let's go back to the House of Commons then. This is PMQ's Unpacked Live. You And it's uh, Keir Starmer's question number three. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister is biting his tongue, but at some point the irreconcilables on his benches are going to twig and they're going to come after him. The former Trade Minister says there can be no role for the European Court of Justice in Northern Ireland. So will the Prime Minister be honest with them and tell them... That's not going to happen. Mr. 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 Speaker, now, again, we, we need to keep going to actually secure an acceptable agreement. But for the honourable gentleman to be talking about a deal that he hasn't even seen, that, we're, that, we, that, we, are, still, that we are still negotiating, that isn't finalised, and it's, it's his usual position when it comes to the European Union. It, it's give the EU a blank cheque and agree to anything they offer. It's, it's, not, it's not a strategy, Mr Speaker. That's surrender. Wow, it's not a strategy. It's, that's a, good language from both of them today, actually. It, it, the irreconcilables. I mean, yes. Theresa May could... Uh, could tell you, tell you a few things about those. And then saying that they are, they will come after him, as they did with Theresa May. Uh, yes, well, I mean, they already are, to be yeah. fair. Yeah. Um, but yes, and then Sunak trying a little bit of uh, 
Boris Johnson playbook on Labour there. All you all you want is a blank cheque from uh, from the EU and, you know, you've not even seen this deal yet, um, which is a card he can keep playing yeah. for as long as he Until wants. Um, but without being wholly persuasive, it's fair to say. But, uh, yeah, and talking about surrender, which, of course, was the great buzz phrase that um, Dominic Cummings got um, uh, Boris Johnson to spout in the autumn of 2019 about... Um, about the Ben Act, which stopped him doing a no deal. The surrender Brexit. bill. The surrender bill. The surrender yeah. act. So, and you know, I think it's fair to say that people with the memories of uh, DUP spokesmen of the past, um, no surrender was a pretty, uh, pretty big part of uh, uh, the late Ian Paisley's vocabulary. So, you know, desperately trying to play some uh, some tunes there, um, but I'm not sure from the noise behind him that um, it's. The right of his party is buying that particularly. I mean, just looking through dozens of times, I was trying to count them up. The uh, Boris Johnson referred to surrender, uh, the surrender act, the surrender bill, the surrender act, surrender capitulation. Well, I've been writing about this for my third book. He said with a bit of uh, product placement, but in the in the key debate, I think Johnson mentioned it twenty one times. <laughs> yeah, so maybe 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 uh, Rishi Sunak's been reading the same bits. Um, you should get him to help out with researching for you. But uh, let's go back to the House well, of Commons. Only if he's at a loose end, which of course he might be by the end of the year. But I'm hoping to publish before then. Yes. Uh, yeah. Hopefully you'll get your book out before uh, he leaves Downing Street. Unlike that can be the paperback update. Harry and James and their book on uh, Liz Truss. Uh, back to the House of Commons now. Uh, question number four from Keir Starmer. Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker. It's not my questions he's avoiding, it's their questions he's avoiding. If implemented, it would tie us up in battles with the EU, the United States and others at precisely the time we should be building common ground to boost our economy and show unity against Putin. Now, the Prime Minister clearly wants a closer relationship with the EU, so can he confirm that if there's a deal, he will pull the protocol bill. Yeah. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, look, what the, the Honourable Gentleman wants to put the EU first. I want to put Northern Ireland first. And, 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 on, and on these questions, and on these questions he, the Honourable Gentleman said he would respect the result of the referendum, and then he promised to back a second one. All the while, he was constantly voting to frustrate Brexit. And I know what the British people know, that on this question, he can't be trusted to stick up for Britain. Wow. Can't be trusted to stick up for Britain. Um, that's quite... Well, it's the old tunes again. Yeah. But it's it's pretty, um, you know... I mean, you know, fair play to Sunak. He's trying to get his own side behind him um, by attacking Labour. But he's not answering the questions, and there's a very good reason why he's not. Um, yeah. You know, the speak to you know people on the right of the Tory party and you say well what you know what is the outcome here if you push this bill through it's basically a trade war is that what you know if their wishes and desires are followed to the uh, you know to the, the the furthest extreme then you know there are only a couple of outcomes here there's a united ireland at one end and there's a massive trade war with the eu at the other um and um neither of those looks particularly appetizing uh, to large sections of uh, the government or uh, uh, the rest of the House of Commons. Um, but, yeah, you know, Sunak doesn't want to have a trade war with the uh, with the EU. And the question that Starmer asked there was one that 
Uh, journalists were asking Downing Street at the weekend, and anyone who read the weekend copy will see quite clearly that their view is if they get a deal, they don't need this bill. Um, and there's questions about whether the bill uh, defies international law. Um, it's certainly believed to by the EU, and that they would then respond um, in kind. Um, and people like Boris Johnson say, well, pass the bill, and then you've got more leverage. Um, Rishi Sunak's belief is that he's been getting on quite well with them. They've been prepared to do give him things that they were not prepared to give Boris Johnson and Liz Truss, uh, who they didn't like because they kept threatening to go around, you know, passing bills like this. Um, and he thinks he's got a lot further. Um, and frankly, the detail that's been explained to me um, it suggests that, um, you know, he has got quite a lot more yeah, than, yeah, yeah. than what Boris Johnson got. So from his point of view, this bill is a bit of a red herring. If you're the ERG and you're Boris Johnson wanting to cause trouble, you say, well, you know, you need the maximum leverage here. You need to pass this bill. But passing it would probably destroy the talks and probably leave us with um, tariffs on uh, various of our products. So just, leave, just, just don't drop it, but also don't pass it. Just sort of leave it over there yeah. and pretend it's not there. You keep say, you've said a couple of times, Boris Johnson says this, Boris Johnson says that. The, the, the weird situation we're in is Boris Johnson hasn't said he anything. He hasn't said a damn thing, no. And it's um, all friends and sources and allies yeah. and nudges and winks. Well, look, and... some of these people are genuine friends and some of them are genuine sources and some of them are official sources. Yeah. Um, no one would have written what we all wrote at the weekend, that this is Boris Johnson's view, unless yeah. we were absolutely certain that, they, that that is Boris Johnson's view from people who are credibly... Um, employed to speak for Boris Johnson. No, you're right, he has been clever enough not to go public with this yeah. yet, and there's a lot of people in the in the sort of, you know, uh, middle of the Tory party who are looking at this and thinking this is not probably actually doing Boris Johnson a great many favours. Yeah, um, yeah. That, that it, while this might be ramping up excitement from the ERG and uh, people who might want Boris Johnson to come back, um, it is also making larger the group of Tory MPs who would say anybody but Boris. Yeah. But there's another game going on here, of course. You know, um, Damien Green, the, the head of the One Nation group, was deselected earlier in, uh, uh, in the week um, as, you know, an MP after 30, 40 years. Um, and there are people on uh, who run a grassroots organisation in the Tory party who say anyone who's been nasty to Boris Johnson, who resigned from his cabinet or said yeah. publicly that he should resign as Prime Minister, they're going to deselect the lot of them. There's 60 people we want to get rid of, they say. Now, that's up to local constituency parties. Uh, they won't be able to pull that off everywhere. But the fact that they've already um, uh, managed to do for Damien Green um, shows that this is a pretty brutal game going on inside the Tory party at the moment. We had David Campbell-Bannerman, who was from this Conservative, was conservative Democracy organisation, on yesterday, but he was saying exactly that. 60 people moved against Boris Johnson. They should all feel the heat. Because one of those 60 people is, in fact, Rishi Sunak himself. Correct. I'm not sure they're necessarily going to be that successful trying to deselect the Prime Minister. No, and I mean, I wrote a story a couple of months ago suggesting that this organisation was was keen to have a grassroots meeting at which they would have a vote of no confidence in the Prime Minister. Yeah. Now, Boris Johnson's people distanced themselves very firmly from that at the time. Uh, might be interesting to ask them again this week yeah, whether yeah. that's still there. That's view. still the case, yeah, yeah. Uh, right, we'll go back to the House of Commons now then. Uh, this is question number six from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, the sound you hear is them cheering the Prime Minister, pulling the wool over their eyes. It's the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, the 30th anniversary of the Downing Street Declaration. Tony Blair and John Major both recognise that politics in Northern Ireland is built on trust and not telling people what they want to hear, and the need to take seriously the concerns of both communities, nationalist and unionist. It's vital their voices are heard. So can the Prime Minister confirm 
that whatever deal he brings back, this House will get a vote on it. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, of course, of course Parliament will express its view. But what is crucial? But what, what is crucial here? But what is crucial here is that, that this is not this is not about his desire to play political games in this House with this situation. This is about what is best for the people and communities of Northern Ireland. And that, Mr Speaker, is what I will keep fighting for. Well, first of all, I'd like to apologise. I can't count. Uh, that was number five, not number six. You may well be the next chance of the exchange. Wishing it away. Wishing it away. Uh, some news there, though, Tim. Of, of course the Parliament will... Exp- oh, yes, uh, but that's pa- not news. It's the form of words. Yeah, you know, yeah. He said, can we have a vote? And he said, Parliament will be able to express its view, which can mean almost anything. Yeah. If you're passing a statutory instrument without a vote, but it goes through on the nod, that is still expressing a view. Yeah, yeah. I, I hate to be punctilious and boring about it, but he did not commit there to a vote, and I think he quite deliberately didn't commit to a vote. Um, now, that... To, your average punter may seem a bit like dancing on the head of a pin, but that's how political soundbites work. And, but that um, is important. Um, yes, no, it's definitely important. He was trying to pin him down to say, you know, there will be a vote on... What he did not say is there will be a vote on the floor of the House of Commons. Um, he said Parliament can express a view, and it can express a view by abstaining, it can express a view by not having a vote, it can express a view by nodding it through without a vote. Um, and technically speaking, everybody I've spoken to doesn't think there needs to be a vote. Well, Wendy on the YouTube channel... Says Parliament will express its view doesn't mean a vote. Correct. Good point, Wendy. We don't need Tim, really. Uh, <laughs> Rachel says, weak from both today. Don't think I could remember any of Starmer's questions. Oh, I'm glad that's them, not us. Catherine agrees. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, I think she's talking about them rather than us. Um, it's an interesting point, though. There's not a lot... Uh, it's not, I'm not quite sure what the sound bite it's is. It's not a lot to that, chew on so far. Uh, that Starmer's going to go for it. Might, but well, it's not even a sound bite. It's just a case of causing awkwardness and discomfort. And, and I think he's pretty much succeeded. He's probably done that. You know, we a lot. talk a lot. You know, um, the point I boringly make every other week. But listen to the noise behind. There ain't yeah. much cheering for Rishi Sunak today. He's tiptoeing his way through a minefield, and he's he's not particularly armed with uh, any um, uh, flame retardant clothing. I can't and... totally see if Boris Johnson's in the chamber. I don't think he is. Uh, we will. Um, I'll try to keep my eye out in just a sec. As we go back to the House of Commons for question... This is actually question number six from Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer. Well, Mr Speaker, I take it from that that this House will get a vote, and I look forward to that vote in due course. I think we've established that's not because what we're everyone from that. knows the basis of this deal has been agreed for weeks, but it's the same old story. The country has to wait while he plucks up the courage to take on the malcontents, the reckless, the wreckers on his own benches. But I'm here to tell him he doesn't need to worry about that because we will put country before party and ensure that Labour votes to get it through. He should accept our offer, ignore the howls of indignation from those on his side who will never take yes for an answer. Why doesn't he just get on with it? Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, what, what I am doing is talking and listening to the people of Northern Ireland. That is the right thing to do. It's to make sure that we can respond and resolve to the concerns of the unionist communities and businesses in Northern Ireland. And that is what I will keep doing. But, Mr Speaker, we know that the Honourable Gentleman talks about his plans. We have heard that tomorrow he's going to announce five missions. But we, all, we, all, we already know what they are. 
It's uncontrolled immigration. It's reckless spending. It's higher debt. And it's softer sentences. And for the fifth pledge, the fifth pledge, Mr Speaker, we all know, it's that he reserves the right to change his mind on the other four. There we are. There we were. We wanted the sound bite. He says... uh... He doesn't need to worry about his wreckers on the back benches. He will put country before party. And and he can use Labour votes to get everything through. Yeah, I mean, there's bad outcomes here for Rishi Sunak. There's um, not getting a deal. There's getting a deal and whacking it through with no vote. And there's getting a deal and whacking it through with Labour votes. Yeah. I would imagine he thinks that's probably the least appetising of the three. Um, well, in fact, this week, I spoke to Simon Clark, former Cabinet Minister, of course, under Boris Johnson and uh, Liz Truss, and asked him exactly that question about what about if Rishi Sunak uh, uses Labour votes to get anything through. Let's take a listen. Well, I very much hope, clearly, that a deal is agreed which does work for everybody. And uh, everyone needs to see the text of a deal before we can start to speculate about how it would be received in the Commons. But look, do I think there would be a very real problem for the government were it to be uh, a deal which didn't carry the support uh, of the DUP, were it to be a deal which did leave Northern Ireland subject to uh, EU law or in the single market in some way, uh, then I think that is that is just the, the, the reality of, of where we're at. And no one wants uh, this to go down that route. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's basically said it was unwise, I think, that the, the idea of, uh, or possibly worse than that, to, to rely on Labour votes. I mean, if that were to be the case, presumably Rishi Sunak would find a way to not put it through as, uh, put it to yeah, a he vote. He just wouldn't have a vote. He'd, yeah. he'd, he'd, he'd do it in some other way. Um, but it's very instructive listening to Simon Clark there. This whole idea of, you know, there can't possibly be any EU laws at all in Northern Ireland. I mean, this has been the situation ever since. <laughs> ever since Brexit and ever since the deals were done. And, and they I all asked... rejected Theresa May's deal and said Boris Johnson's deal's great. Yeah. Um, and that was the situation it put in place. And and now they're complaining when Sunak is saying, we're going to deal with the practical issues, we're going to even give you a some kind of lock on future regulations, um, giving you democratic say over them. Um, but, you know, if you don't want EU alignment in, on regulation in Northern Ireland, you need to draw the border somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and this is the point I said to put to Simon Clark. This has been the problem. It's been nearly six years now. And this Seven is years. a new challenge. This it's has happened. A, if you are going to be to outside the EU, then there is going to be a border. And if you don't want the border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, then it has to go somewhere else. Yeah. You either don't leave the EU or you have a United Ireland or you have a trade war Yeah, under what they are asking for. But it's not what they used to be asking for. Um, and Sunak at some point... He's either going to not do a deal or he's going to have to say, I'm terribly sorry, but this is good enough. Um, and if you don't like it, you can lump it. And then he's going to have to have, um, you know, do what he can to cling on to his job. Yeah. Um, but it will be very uncomfortable for him. Well, there we are. But I don't see sitting around hoping it goes away and pretending you aren't really doing a deal and having this drag on for another fortnight is particularly... Uh, going to do anybody any good, least of all the Prime Minister, because he just starts to look uh, not only weak but indecisive. Um, and, you know, if he believes in what he's got and maybe he hasn't quite got all of it over the line, he can turn around to Ursula von der Leyen and say, look what I've had to put up with today, you know, I need I need more help, fine. But yeah, um, maybe. at maybe. some point he needs to say, right, this is it, it's a lot better than it used to be um, and you're going to have to live with that, people. Yeah. And then, then ultimately call some people's bluffs, I suppose, rather than just worrying about the D DUP the whole time. Um, uh, no, it turns out none of you really have enjoyed PMQs today. Mary says, PMQs is really awful. 
Just an exchange of insults. Very unpleasant. Not even witty anymore. Uh, <laughs> well, stick around. They'll be back to something. Uh, Terry says, I would almost welcome back David Cameron responding to Peter Bone. Oh, they were the glory days. Oh, and don't forget Mrs. Bone Miss- and the role she used to play. Yes. Uh, put a smile on his face or something, Theresa May said. What's the shit, Pim, please? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Anyway, let's not um, get bogged down in that. Lara Spirits just joined us in the studio. She was watching the backbench contributions so that we didn't have to. How was it? It was actually a bumper week for was it? backbench. It actually was. Yeah, Are you suggesting that you've had more fun in the last half an hour than we have? I actually think I have, yeah. Right, okay. Um, <laughs> Where were we going? It's a relatively low bar. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't a vintage one. I mean, I think Tim and I did our best in the circumstances, I think, you know. But uh, it wasn't a vintage one. So where are we going first, then? So, lots of talk of Brexit. So you've got... Lots of talk of Brexit. I think most significantly from Sir Geoffrey Donaldson, who uh, won't have been short of opportunities to make his views known to Rishi Sunak in private, but uh, today took the opportunity to make them conspicuously known in public uh, and made a quite noteworthy uh, distinction between... Uh, what he saw as kind of, you know, the trade issues around the Northern Ireland Protocol, but more specifically, he highlighted important, in his words, constitutional and democratic uh, issues. Uh, And he said it's unacceptable that EU laws are imposed on Northern Ireland with no democratic scrutiny or uh, consent. And he said, I think quite noteworthily for anybody who's feeling optimistic about uh, the current state of play, that tweaking wasn't going to cut it. But I hope we can listen to him Yeah, we can hear now. This is the leader of the DUP in the Commons, Sir Geoffrey Donaldson. Geoffrey Donaldson. Can I thank the Prime Minister for his efforts uh, in relation to the Northern Ireland Protocol? It is unacceptable that Northern Ireland has been put in this place with a protocol imposed upon us that harms our place in the United Kingdom. It must be replaced with arrangements that are acceptable and restore our place in the United Kingdom and its internal market. Does the Prime Minister accept how important the constitutional and democratic issues are in relation to getting a solution? And will he agree with me that it is unacceptable that EU laws are imposed on Northern Ireland with no democratic scrutiny or consent? And will he assure me that he will address these fundamental constitutional issues and do so not just by tweaking the protocol, but by rewriting the legally binding treaty text. Pithy Can question from Geoffrey Donaldson. The honourable gentleman for his question, but also thank him for the role that he has played in recent months in articulating unionist concerns. Uh, I have heard loud and clear when he says he wants and needs these issues resolved so that he has a basis to work with others to restore power sharing, and I know that that is genuine. He raised the question of practical issues, and it is vital that these are addressed. But he also raises, Mr. Speaker, a vital question about the constitutional and legal framework in which these arrangements exist. And I can assure him that I agree. Addressing the democratic deficit is an essential part of the negotiations that remain ongoing with the European Union. And just as he has been consistent, so have I. And I can assure him that this is at the very heart of the issues that must be addressed. Mr Um, Tim, Lara's right that actually the very existence of the question from Geoffrey Donaldson, choosing to say something publicly in the House of Commons rather than keeping quiet and not rock the boat, is that there's a significance in that. Never mind what he actually went on to say. Uh, Yeah, no, I think that's right. Um, You know, he's got a marker he wants to put down. He needs to be showing um, Brussels what he wants. Um, I thought the wording of it was fascinating, though, because... When we listened to Simon Clark earlier, he was saying there can't be any EU law in Northern Ireland. That's not what Geoffrey Donaldson's actually saying there. He's saying there cannot be any EU law or regulations 
mirrored in Northern Ireland without democratic consent. And what Rishi Sunak is trying to get is democratic consent or some kind of way that the people of Northern Ireland can say, no, we don't want that. Yeah. Now, the question then becomes, can he get it? Doesn't seem to quite have it yet. And if he does, will the DUP then say that's acceptable or will they retreat to this line that a lot of the ERG are now spouting, that there cannot be any EU law in Northern Ireland? Mm. These are not the same thing. And if, if Donaldson is as good as his word, I think that gives a glimmer of hope for Sunak that yeah. he might be able to deliver something about democratic consent. The, the second part of it, though, is more problematic because he wants the treaty to be written. Um, and that does get you into the realms of um, this not being about... Um, uh, how it's exercised, but about what it says. And if you're rewriting the treaty, that's a bigger deal, and it also probably means you do need a vote in the House of Commons. That's the significance yeah, of, yeah. of both of those bits. Um, but I think that's a very interesting and useful question, um, and if the DUP mean what they say, I don't think it's disastrous for Sunak. Interesting, that. Uh, really, really interesting. Thanks for picking that, uh, Tim. Right, there's some more. Um, who was who were the next one you picked out, Laura? So we had, by my count, three uh, Tory backbenchers who raised concerns about uh, illegal migration and, and specifically oh. uh, some of them when we might be seeing that fresh legislation that we've been promised uh, from Rishi Sunak. That Tackle kind of the one of his, one of his fifth top priorities. five priorities. Exactly, that we've been promised. Five pledges very much in vogue at the moment. So I think we can duck, duck into, uh, this is Conservative MP, former cabinet minister, of course, uh, Esther McVeigh. Let's take a listen. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister has made fixing illegal immigration across the Channel one of his key top priorities. He's also said that legislation will be required to stop it. I completely agree. So, can he tell us when we can expect to see this legislation coming forward as time is of the essence? And can he explain why sorting out this issue did not feature on the Home Office Permanent Secretary stated top three priorities for his department? Prime Minister. Well, uh, Mr Speaker, thank the Honourable, uh, my Honourable Friend for her, for her question. She's right, illegal crossings put people's lives at risk, it diverts resources away from those in genuine need, and it's unfair on those who migrate here legally. And that's why one of our five pledges to the British people is to stop the boats. We are working at pace on the legislation. It's important that it works. Uh, and in the meantime, our deals with Albania and France are already yielding benefits. But what I can tell her is that we want a system whereby if someone arrives in our country illegally, they will not be able to stay. Instead, they will be detained and removed to a country that they come from or a safe third alternative. That is the system that the Home Secretary and I are working hard to, to put in place, and that is what our legislation will deliver. Uh, that was interesting, uh, uh, Esther McVeigh. In fact, when Esther McVeigh was talking about the, uh, the Permanent Secretary of the Home Office not including it in the uh, top three priorities, Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, was sat on the front bench nodding. Nodding gravely, yeah. Yeah, as so if she, she also agreed with that. But it, like you were saying, it wasn't just Esther McVeigh. Uh, the Conservative MP, Theo Clark, not normally, mm. uh, you would say is a disloyal uh, Tory MP, uh, normally keeps quiet on these things, but uh, also raising concerns about immigration. Let's take a listen. to tackling illegal migration and particularly the issue of small boats. But can I ask my right honourable friends if he will reconsider the government's proposal to relocate approximately 500 single male asylum seekers to Beaconside in Stafford? Yeah. And can I ask him to meet with me urgently to discuss this given the huge amount of objections I've received from constituents on this issue? Prime Minister. 
Well, firstly, Mr. Speaker, can I welcome my honourable friend back to her place? And I know that this is an issue that is concerning her and her constituents, uh, and it's why we must absolutely stop the boats and stem the tide of illegal migrants to relieve this pressure on our local communities. Uh, but I will ensure that she meets with the Home Secretary as soon as possible to discuss her concerns, and hopefully we can arrange that meeting uh, in the coming days. Uh, well, I wish tonight talk about uh, Theo Clark being back in her place because she's just come back from maternity leave uh, and using her first PMQs to, to raise immigration. Tim, while we've been going through these uh, questions, somebody uh, tweeted in, Sunak seemed to be over-promising there. I think actually that was about Brexit, but he's raised expectations on small boats as well. Well, actually, if you look at his... his the pledge amongst the five pledges is to pass legislation to deal with it. It's not to stop the boats, but he keeps saying he's going to stop the boats. Um, and frankly, if he doesn't now, he's got a problem. Um... I did think it was quite nice that, you know, well, welcome back to the Honourable Lady, but she can go and meet the Home Secretary. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, not that welcome. Yeah, so um, it, you, normal people won't notice this, but uh, on all government press releases now, there is this little strap across the top, which at first appears, appears to be an advert, but it essentially is. There's our priorities. Halve inflation, grow the economy, reduce debt, cut waiting lists, and stop the boats, which is much further than the... Well, it doesn't really... Pass legislation to curtail the boats doesn't yeah, quite Yeah, pass fit, legislation, it? it may or may not well, stop may the or may not, yeah, yeah. In, in the fullness of time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I suppose it's just a reminder that, actually, uh, as Keir Starmer, as we, we discussed, Keir Starmer throughout PMQ's law, I was trying to sort of needle the relationship between Rishi Sunak and his own MPs. And then his own MPs, Julie Obliged on immigration. Very much Julie Obliged on immigration and also uh, on other issues as well. I don't know if we'll play it, but we did have uh, a question from Robert Buckland as well, who, uh, the former Welsh Secretary, yeah. obviously, uh, saying it's slightly perplexing that colleagues are sounding off about an agreement that they haven't even seen yet, yeah, which yeah. I'm sure will have rankled quite a few people uh, on his own benches as well. <laughs> as, so you're right, did not necessarily need Kirstarmer to make some of the most important points of this week's Prime Minister's question. It's all right. It didn't seem like sound delighted to be t asked about one of the five disasters that he's trying to deal with, you know, <laughs> instead of Oh, immigration. Immigration. Bring Lovely. it on. Bring it Let on. me talk about the boats. Let finally. me talk about some other, some other thing that Something I've got hanging on. Brexit. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from? When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.